After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Well, thank you, Dave Slade, and thank you for joining us for uh, one of our last daily podcast of the postseason we've got one more game i'm sure we'll talk about it afterwards <laughs> i think we might mention we might discuss game seven afterwards. we might talk about game seven uh, but john Manuel and jj cooper with you here at baseball america talking about uh what we really hoped we would get in this world series which has been a seven game series we've had two or i would say three really good games two incredible two very good tense thrillers a little bit of a cakewalk in Game 6. They Although Joe Mabb did not think it was a cakewalk. It was a 9-3 Cubs victory, and even though the Cubs consistently had a big lead, I was at my son's baseball practice, uh, which we didn't leave the field till 9-15, and as soon as it was 9-15, I checked my phone and yelled out to the kids as we left the field, 7-0 Cubs! And, uh, you know, our coach has already gone. I went to a World Series game. I think he's going to try to go to Cleveland tonight. Um, so it's pretty been a pretty... Uh, this is a series that I've seen catch the attention of 11 and 12 year olds and 13 year olds. I'm not sure how many of them are going to watch the game tonight. My, they my moved four, it up eight my, minutes, JJ. Eight my, minutes for the young my kids. My fourth grader is like, I mean, one of her best friends. She's a Cubs fan, and so like is every she a Bud man. I and so not. every every day, Natalie asked me in the morning, you know, hey, who won last night? And well, the uh, Cubs won last night, but you wouldn't know it by the usage of Aroldis Chapman and the way that he was deployed last night. So that's one of the main things we want to talk about. I do want to talk about the egregious Indians outfield, <laughs> their defense and their offense. It's just bad and what they could do about it. But let's talk about Game 6 and how it pertains to Game 7 because, J.J., your head was exploding on Twitter last night, and, I, and you weren't alone. Um, Joe Madden's explanation, which I don't know that you heard. So Joe Madden's explanation on the field with Tom Verducci after the game of why he used Chapman was that that was the time of the lineup to use him, which I agree. It was Lindor, there were two runners on, Mm -hmm. and he faced their best. That explanation, I think, actually does not, uh, shouldn't be questioned, actually should be applauded. And if Terry Francona had done it, I think he would be applauded. The part that is really inexcusable, and I've talked about it on the podcast several times, is how do you not have someone ready to go in case you want to take him out? And he said he left Chapman out for the first batter because nobody was loose yet. And And that that is is a mistake any way you slice it. If you said that Chapman comes in, gets Lindor out, and then he was done, which I know that that's probably being almost too aggressive. Like, okay, you got him out of the the big problem, and Chapman throws uh, essentially uh, 
Uh, and that point, yes, there was high stress pitches, but so few pitches that it's like it's game seven. It's almost it doesn't affect how much he's available. Right. Okay, that's fine. You know, hey, yeah, I know it was a five run lead, but Lindor's up, key situation. He got us out of it. And then with the five-run lead, we felt comfortable in the eighth and ninth handing it over to Justin Grimm yeah. or Travis, Travis Wood, Wood, Pedro Strope. Pedro Strope or, you know, okay, fine. No complaints here at all. Even the sending him back out for the eighth and then obviously in the Cubs half of the eighth, I mean, sorry, the Cubs top of the ninth, we then have the Rizzo home run, and it's like there's literally no, there is zero reason at that point for Chapman to be in. I I do not understand, and I do think that this is a fair criticism to make. The game got away from Joe Madden there, in that you, he basically that happened, and he's like, oh well, okay, well now we don't need. There, well, no, there, they did though. As soon as the home run was hit, they did show Chris Basio getting on the floor. Right, but that's the but problem. that's not the point. You should have been before that. They they aren't in the mode of we should have someone with a ball ready to get loose or ready to start using their Jager bands to start tubing right. at a moment's notice. And the fact that they don't is stunning to me for an organization that JJ we've talked about how in so many ways they seem to have every base covered, and that's one base. The only guy who doesn't have it covered is, frankly, Joe Madden. But the the thing that, that, that uh, again, you're trying, the thing that I just could not get over last night with that is, is that it is very, very hard to lose. It's not impossible, but even a five-run lead, it's very hard to lose a five-run lead. Right. You can in trade the eighth run, inning. When you can, if, even if it was still a five-run lead in the ninth, you could trade a run for an out every time. Every, I know those outs are hard to get. I, I per, totally endorsed bringing in Chapman when he brought him in. Right. I just there's there's really no excuse to be made for not having someone already ready to get hot fast the second that the league got and, bigger. And the thing about it is, is that it comes back to you have to win two games. Winning game, yes, you have to win game six first. But winning game six and not winning game seven makes winning game six absolutely immaterial. And if you look at it right now. I know if you're a Cubs fan, what you're looking at and you're saying, okay, it's Hendricks, and then there's a lot of belief in the kid. Then it's John Lester. Right, right. Because, well, the other thing we saw from Which, that, I, which I'm, at, I'm honestly fine with, again, if John Madden's thought, Joe Madden's thought process is, uh, well, hopefully it's not John Madden's thought process. Hopefully he's not thinking, boom, boom. go Chapman. <laughs> but hopefully his thought process was, if Chapman's not available, at least I have Lester. If that's his thought process, I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's at least a thought process. But the thing we also saw in you can, this... You can but, see Lester closing. But, but what we saw in this, there's a couple of things with that, though. One, we saw that basically Madden at this point believes in two relievers Correct. in his entire pen. Correct. The day before, in Game 5, he believed in three, but Carl Edwards Jr. lost his trust. So, so, he's, so essentially all now... All these guys are low trust outside is, of Montgomery It and is Chapman. Mike Montgomery and Aroldis Chapman. And what we have now, the problem I have with that is, is I, this doesn't mean a role as Chapman's not going to pitch. I know people talk about going on through 20 pitches. 20 pitches where you get up and you pitch high leverage in the, in the seventh, then you sit down, then you get back up and you pitch the eighth, and then you sit down, and then, and then, inexplicably, you, pitch, and then you pitch the ninth yeah. is not the same as a 20-pitch inning. It's, it's not, not the same. It's, it's not, not the same. And don't forget, he tweaked that right knee or the right leg 
on that play, bang bang play. Hey, let's give let's give Chapman credit. He actually covered first hey, right, once. Yeah. And, and we, by and the we, way, give credit to the camera crew also because that was an amazing. That was fantastic camera work and and replay work, and it was quick. Mm-hmm. Replay was quick there, but also we got to see a little burst of that athleticism that we talked about with Chapman because he didn't start busting at the first. But once he did, he outran Francisco Lindor. I mean, it was only like four or five steps, but he, but he got the top he speed. He has burst. He had burst. He had short area quickness, but, JJ. But, again, it's not that you're not going to see Chapman throw tonight. But what it does mean, if you are the Indians right now, if you go into tonight and what you're looking at it is, is that, okay, you have your ace. Short rest, but you have your ace. You have your best starter possible right And you also go into tonight. If he can only give you three or four good innings, that you have Andrew Miller for again. I Andrew Miller tonight. I do think of it as almost like Houston Street against, for, against Cuba, where you say, Dominican, "Here's yes. Dominican, sorry, here's the ball," and okay, I need you to be honest with me. You tell me yep. when you're starting to lose it. And I'm going to be watching, and I'm going to, I might pull you. And you have Cody Allen for as long as you need to. And you've got Cody Allen for as long as you need to. And then, and I mean, I'm serious when I say this, and then if it goes extra, you got Brian Shaw. Correct. So you are set up to be so aggressive tonight because there is no reason to not see Andrew Miller for two to three tonight. It's just fasc- at the least. Yeah, it's fascinating that we have gotten to this game seven. We're basically the uh, certainly Cleveland wishes we weren't at game seven. But they are set up much better than Chicago is, I would say. And, and they are, and, that, and that's the thing is that it, it, game seven has set up for it's the one, the only time that the Indians have the pitching advantage is either when Kluber starts, or it's at least a push. If not advantage, Kluver. And I would say advantage. And then any time that you go to the bullpen, and it's not Chapman, because Chapman again gets you to push with Miller. See, and I would rather, I would, you know, I'd rather have Chapman than Allen. I'd rather have Chapman than Shaw. But that's the only time. So the Cubs, by a the fact that you're facing Kluber, arrested Miller, arrested Allen, arrested Shaw, the Cubs are never going to have the pitching advantage that they always have had mm-hmm. in this series. Otherwise, a and be any chance that they'd be at push in the bullpen, they reduced by the way that Madden used Chapman. Because so how they, much do you think... put themselves at a disadvantage. Because, I mean, we were talking about this going into Game 6, that if the, you know, that, okay, if you need him in Game 6 as a close game, you use Chapman for 2-3 to three if you need to. But if you don't need him in Game 6, then yeah. you really are talking Game 7. Because, let's, okay, now let's talk about John Lester. Yes, we're going to see John Lester tonight. I would anticipate we will see John Lester at some point tonight. Here's the slightly... Frightening thing with John Lester, and it, he doesn't hold runners any worse than a role as Chapman. He hold, he doesn't throw to first, but he t- he's, he's so quicker. quick he to is the quicker. plate. But so no, that's the th- but, but, I do but hold think on. it's overplayed. But no, the the thing I would say with that though is is that one thing about it is is what also what also makes John Lester as far as holding runners is having David Ross behind the plate. That's the other, and part. that is where this gets much more complicated because okay, I think Wilson Contreras is good. But I'm fine. You know, Wilson Contreras has made one glaring mistake behind the plate every game. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know. And my, my son plays with a, a kid whose dad's from Puerto Rico, still plays. And every game of the World Series, he's talking about, he's telling the other kids on the team, something that Baez did, something Lindor did. He may as well, he wore his crabber shirt to practice last night. So two things. <laughs> so, so, and, and he's, uh, but he, he loves Wilson Contreras. 
And Wilson Contreras had that pick of the 102 mile an hour pitch in the it dirt. Was that was amazing. It was an amazing athletic. But he made a mistake last night right through the five hole. He makes a mistake every night. So that is the other factor. I still think A, the Cubs have three catchers on their roster. Right. B, you start Contreras. And when Lester comes in, so does Ross. And I don't that, think the drop off is that significant. But I really I'm just saying, but you do have to. Not you, for one game. But you have to prep for that. Like that is something that, okay, that's how you're going to do it. And Again. we don't know that Joe Madden will prep for it because he might be thinking about his turducken right now. I mean, seriously, the guy, where where was the guy's mind last night? It was it was Pixies esque. Where was his mind? The thing about it is, is when you say, "Oh, it's easy to say that after Rizzo hit the home run." No, I mean, like I was listening at that point for some reason. I was listening to the Cubs radio broadcast, and they were saying when Rizzo. Like, yeah. I don't see. It's kind of dark over there, but I, mean, I don't see anyone up in the bullpen. That's it. So I mean, like seriously, it wasn't, his, feet, his feet were in the air and his head were in the clouds. I don't I mean, understand other, I think my I went mute on Twitter because I did say that if Chapman pitched the ninth, I was going to be speechless. And Chapman came out and pitched the ninth, so I went like, okay, I got to live to my word. I, I'm off Twitter the rest of the night. But I think that that tweet started before you know, like, or you asked the question before, like, Chapman, why would Chapman pitch the ninth here? Doesn't make any sense. Because again, they were the bottom sense. of the lineup too. That's the other part of it. So the, the, again, with coaches or managers. All I've ever asked in these things is to be consistent. I've talked about this on podcasts for years, you know, like with with uh, Stanford. You know, like in 19, I mean, in 2000, when uh, the official box score says Jason Young threw 178 pitches. And I asked Mark Marquis after that game, I didn't say, why the F did you pitch this guy for 178 pitches? Don't you know he's going to be a top five pick next year? Still got $2 million. But well, you know, why did you pitch this guy for 178 pitches? He got, and, he, and his explanation was, oh, he had extra he had extra rest. With longer rest, pitch counts aren't the same. I don't like short rest. Then three years later in Omaha, John Hudgens goes 350 pitches in 10 days. So he talks out of both sides of his mouth. So, again, it's the same thing with Joe Madden. How can you talk about the way you're going to think ahead and that, in this case, Chapman was the right call because it was Lindor in the middle of the lineup. And I agree. But then to not think ahead and think, okay, I've got at least a five-run lead. I can get three outs against the bottom of the lineup. I've got, Stro- I've got Strope, Edwards, and Wood to get three outs, and we're going. And Rondone. And Ron- again. Everybody, anybody, whoever you want. Right. You, if you wanted John Lackey last night, you could have gotten John Lackey for now. Right. you got all those guys. Can we get three outs? And we, not and give again, up five, we, four runs. Five, yeah. And not, yeah, four runs, five not runs, five yeah. runs, five runs, not because they end up giving up one. Yeah. But five runs, not we're talking about after the Rizzo home run. We're talking about literally the minute you came into the dugout right. to start the ninth. Okay, we have gotten through the heart of that order. Okay, Chapman has gotten us to this point. Can we can we use their, their basically the entire rest of our bullpen minus Montgomery slash Chapman? Yeah. And get three outs. How about the fact that uh, so so we, I do think we've hit that one a lot. Yeah. I'm I am one of their Indians pastors. outfield. Indians outfield contrasted with Cubs outfield. Jason Hayward has gotten a little bit better through this World Series. But Jason but Hayward's is, finally turned his brain off it seems, and he's making some harder contact. And he made two excellent plays defensively. But I was going to say defensively, there's never been defensively. Right. That's the reason. But it really shows up. Yeah. In contrast to Lonnie baseball, I mean Lonnie Chisholm has had a rough World Series. Yes. Really rough. But let me ask you also with that. Okay. Tonight, Seth Rowe in the ninth inning, you weren't watching. You were listening. Yeah. Jason Hayward threw out no, Roberto Perez yeah. at second no, base. No, no, yeah. By the way. That you was about, an epic throw. It was an epic throw. At the same time, 
You want to talk about turning your brain off. Yes. Ooh, it's really important I get the second exactly. here because we only need seven more, eight more hits. Right, exactly. <laughs> Do I think, I'll, you know, okay, we've got to eliminate the, the chance of a double play here. Don't worry, if you hit a ground out for a, that's like a double play, you're, you're already not going to win. That was a mistake. That but, was a bad play. But, um, but no, what I was going to say on that, though, is, is that, okay, tonight, if you're Cleveland, if you're Terry Francona, first question I, I mean, Lonnie Chisenhall is still probably your right fielder tonight. I don't think you... That's a question for me. I mean, like, who, Tyler Naquin is, what, over I'll, 25 with 16 the question I, the, the thing to me that seems... Don't tell e- Teddy Cahill. The thing that seems easy to me is is that Tyler Naquin is not in the lineup tonight. Correct. To me, you're not, Raja Davis and Coco Crisp are in the lineup no matter what. Okay, because if you do that, though... <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I mean, you're going to lose a platoon advantage, Matt Eddy says. You're not going to just... But, uh, again, to me, Chisenhall's still in there because Tyler Naquin right now is not giving you he's an inferior defender in center and he doesn't hit right now. That play last night with him and Chisenhall seemed like because Chisenhall ran hard at it, which I assume he's supposed to do, but because he ran hard at it, Naquin deferred when the center fielder probably shouldn't defer. But then the fact that Chisenhall overran the ball um, – I, that that just that play is such an inexplicable play. It really was a huge play. I mean, one nothing versus three nothing is just a giant difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, yes. in a game like that, and certainly made Arietta you know a lot more comfortable. I have to say also, JJ, uh, you know, going speak, going back to the pitching, but I just see the contrast between the way Chisholm's played defensively in right field and the way Hayward has played in right field is such a that's a yawning gap. And in a series like this, where the teams are fairly close. It's, it has that that has again, really come into play several times. It's right, something as small as right field defense. Because it wasn't just that Jason Hayward had a great night defensively last night. He had the throw. He had a yeah. diving catch. He had all that. He's done that. I mean, we had the play. We had a play down the line at Wrigley where yeah. he basically he's going to go into the oh wait I mean, and then he catches. You know, he's made a, a multitude of plays right. that are difficult plays to make. Yeah. So the the, the thing, I guess the other option with the uh, four. Um, the Indians tonight could be Brandon Geyer, even if it's right, right. You can't tell me Brandon Geyer can't wear one against Kyle Hendricks. I mean, he's a professional <laughs> hit batsman guy. Go out there and wear one. You know, uh, put on your glasses and your wig if you have to. It's close enough to Halloween. You could dress up from the like the kid in Bad News Bears, but just take one for the team. I think Brandon Geyer could do that for you one time. I would be extremely tempted if honestly, if the evaluation of the Indians, who know their players way better than I do, but if their evaluation is Brandon Geyer is a superior defender. To Lonnie Chisenhall, I'd do it. And I, I, I would take the platoon disadvantage, and I would play Geyer in right field over Chisenhall because Chisenhall well, has just made too many mistakes. But the other thing is, is when you're thinking platoon advantage tonight, you can think also longer term. Yeah. Okay, who are you going to face tonight? Correct. You're going to face in the last half of the game. You're almost guaranteed that you're going to either face Chapman, Montgomery, or Lester. Mm-hmm. And they're all left-handed. Yep. So, so what I'm saying is, is that, yes, you may be giving up something for four to five innings, but I think that's the maximum of what you're talking. You know, JJ, the other debate that we had here in the office yesterday, Matt, Eddie, and I had, um, was about the Cubs lineup and where you'd hit Kyle Schwarber. And when it, the news came out that Schwarber was going to hit second, I just disputed that. And I thought that the only reason – so Matt and I had this pretty interesting discussion – and we'll, we might bring Kyle Glazer in on this one if he wakes up enough. We'll have to come in as we record this. But, um, you know, my argument was Zobris has given you consistently good at bats throughout the series. He's had the most polished approach throughout your season, and that's who Ben Zobrist is. Mm-hmm. 
And if you hit him two hole, you don't have a base clogger up high. You, and you go switch hitter, switch hitter, and Fowler and Zobris. And then you could go you could go Schwarber, Bryant, Rizzo. You could go Rizzo, Bryant, Schwarber. There are any permutations of left, mm-hmm. right, left there. And you, you avoid stacking your left-handers. Mm-hmm. You make that tough. If, if it had been a close game for Andrew Miller, I would argue Rizzo, Bryant, Schwarber. Obviously, they stuck with Bryant. They wanted Bryant to hit in the first inning. Came through with a home run. And they wanted Schwarber in that two-hole, and Schwarber was Schwarber. Um, and so it worked out for them last night. How would you do their lineup? Would you go Zobra's two hole? Or would you? Hit, I think Schwarber should hit five holes. That's just me. Right. I, I, but I'm a, to be honest. To me, it's it's one of those that's like it's okay either way because really what we are talking about right now, Chicago largely has a, a five man. It's going to be some combination. Well, Russell had six RBIs. Russell, yes, sorry, Russell is huge. Last <laughs> I mean, and obviously one of them was fluke. Two of them were fluke. But the grand slam. Was the grand slam fluke. was no fluke. Second longest home run he's had in his career. It was. Uh, Nathan Rody would right. say hashtag crushed. But um, but I, I do think that the thing again when you talk about platoon, you're thinking long term tonight. The reality of it is, is that you can stack them if you want or not. It doesn't really matter that much tonight to me because the guys you're going to face, you're not going to face a lefty specialist who's coming right. in to face Schwarber, you know, and then he's going to leave the game. Right. You're facing him. Whether you get Andrew Miller and it's I mean, again, if you wanted to put you know, if you wanted to even go Bryant, Rizzo, Schwarber, tonight, what is the impact of that? Because you're not gonna face a lefty specialist. Right. And if Cody Allen comes in the game, they're not pulling Cody Allen. These two guys are gonna pitch. Yeah, once and they're gonna pitch extended. You you can almost basically set it up where the reality of it is is if you're Madden, if you put those guys back to back. It's not. It, it may slightly change what Franklin thinks, and to be honest, you know, it's it, if I, you're, you're not going to. It doesn't to me make a massive difference either way because Miller is. I don't care if you're right-handed or left-handed. He's, he's pretty just, much unhittable. He's just hateful, right. no matter what. If you're a hitter, he's hateful. right. And they don't have. I mean, again, everyone's available tonight, but I cannot envision another lefty who is going to come into the game. Well, it's not going to be Ryan Merritt. That's the only other right. left-hander they have, and that's, and that's so he's not. Night. He's not coming into the game, so you do not have to worry tonight if you're the Cubs that by stacking two lefties together, right. that you're going to play into the hands of well they've got this yeah, guy exactly. who's, who's, who's deaf on lefties, yeah. but you can you want a right-hander to face him. There's not guy doesn't exist. Right. It's it's really I do think the lineup construction is is fascinating to think of for one game with everything on on, on the table. I also think where the Cubs are in the lineup. Will depend on who Terry Frank will will help dictate who Terry Francona uses first. If it's toward the bottom of the lineup and you think Kluber's done or you need to go get Kluber, I assume you go Cody Allen because mm-hmm. the bottom of the Cubs lineup but, has Hayward, but then the predominantly right-handed hitters with whoever the catcher is, the incredibly pitchable Javier Baez. <laughs> How about Javier bounce Baez? it, bounce it, bounce it, bounce it, ninety-five <laughs> down the middle, and he's frozen. I mean that's. That guy is so lost. And you see, he swings and misses at a breaking ball. He steps out of the batter's box. He's like, what do I do now? You can just see on his face, this incredibly confident hitter and player is totally just like, he's just lost. And the, but to the his credit, he doesn't carry over to his credit, I was going to say, I was thinking the exact same thing. It was to his credit. And then you put him out in the field, and it's like, okay, best second baseman. I mean, seriously, sick, when you say. Sick defense. Who is that? Who is, eight? Who's a better defensive second baseman you've seen? He's I mean, better than Roberto Alomar to me. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, like, to me, I mean, like, 
and I guess in my life, who's the best defensive second baseman? I, I, you know, the first person who always comes to mind when you say second base is Robbie Cano. So he's got Cano's arm strength and hands, probably better hands, with more athleticism and twitch. So he's a better he's version of Brandon Cano. Phillips to me, like also another guy. That's you know, a good call. Because he was a shortstop who moved to second. Although in Phillips' case, Baez moved, Baez moved because, in his case, you know, there's just there's Addison Russell. Well, that's Phillips the great... moved because, I, for some reason, this doesn't work in shortstop. Yeah, for that's the great thing about uh, the draft tracker from 2011 I found last night. It's from the 150 scout game between Arlington Country Day and Monteverde Academy. Um, the Oscar game the, of Oscar games. Yeah, so what, what starts is that Lindor and Baez played on the same team in Jupiter at the perfect game, World of Bad Association Championships. So because they were teammates, Baez deferred to Lindor and always either played third base or catcher. Timmy Wilkins saw him behind the dish and just decided he had to see him and see how his hands work. I mean, it's just... Just think about Javi Baez's hands and arms. You think Wilson Contreras looks dish. athletic back there? Yeah. So you know, like, I'm, I'm, but you would, you really the, the thing about it is, is it would be a shame in many ways because it's like he's, he's got. We would never know that he's the greatest tagger we've ever seen. Exactly. Like, he gets three. You know that that one play at the plate he had in June. It was epic. Yeah. I mean, like seriously, it, we we, uh, we would have lost out on that one. But uh, Kyle Glazer does join us now, and Kyle, you were actually in Wrigley. Games three, four, and five. So obviously, you have a little bit different perspective than we do. But uh, I mean, what do you think the tension level is going to be like in Chicago, having been there and just seeing uh, how? Uh, I mean, I, well, we don't have an explicit tag, but how crazy they were there. It would be absolutely wild. You know, it was interesting when I got there. Uh, the plane, the morning, and then the morning of, and then Game Three. The streets around Wrigley were absolutely packed. It was a festive atmosphere. It was kind of like Mardi Gras. I mean, people were just packed, and everywhere. Five hours before game time, the L stop at Addison was packed. I mean, it's 2 p.m. on a Friday. Clearly, everyone took work off and was just there at the bars. I mean, uh, there were the bars were open and serving at 10 a.m. So it was an absolute, you know, madhouse. But it was interesting watching how it changed and progressed through the weekend. So Friday night, I was so excited, so happy. Oh, my gosh, we're finally here. This is finally happening. And then Friday night's game happens, and Saturday, the same number of people were there, but it was much more subdued. And I was walking around, I was like, okay, is it just me? And I met up with Tom Withers, the AP's like, no, like, you can feel it. There was a sense of, you know, that initial excitement, and then, oh, crap, now I forgot how much it actually hurts when we get here and we lose. <laughs> right. So now we're down 2-1, and Kluber's pitching, and everyone just kind of was like, there was definitely more of a... Well, all right, you know, let's let's go. But it was nowhere near the same atmosphere. It was amazing what 24 Hours does. Then they lose that game. And on Sunday, you wouldn't have known you were in Chicago and it was Wrigley Field and it had been 1945. I mean, maybe a third of those many people. I mean, you could walk in the streets, no problem. The L stop, there's no issue getting off. Oh. Um, the cops didn't need their mounted horses yet like they did on Friday night, four hours before first pitch. I mean, it was, crap, we're down 3-1. And it was really cold, so yeah. less people were coming out on Sunday. And just the atmosphere changed. And you can even tell from the games, you know, Friday night, first pitch, yeah. And then Sunday it was a cautious, like, okay, we're happy. But up until really even the end, and the end was like a cathartic, you know, celebration. As soon as Chapman got the final out and they actually won a game at Wrigley, all the tension was released. Yeah. And I actually think the hardest partying was that Sunday night after that win where, you know, uh, I stayed a little later just because I was doing some wrap-up stuff from the home series. You could hear the screams and the hoots and the hollers 
out out around the stadium, you could hear the police blowing their whistles. I mean, it was, you know, I think, you know, from a pure just, yes, we got one at Wrigley on Sunday night was absolutely wild. And I want to add that Saturday night being, you know, the night, you know, that Halloween was celebrated. Mm-hmm. It was a very funny visual walking out of Wrigley Field at midnight and you see bunch of Cubs fans and some zombies and some sexy <laughs> cheerleaders. There's a very weird conflagration of people that uh, was, was just a funny visual. Um, that is really funny. But um, it was definitely uh, it was definitely quite the scene, but I really thought it was interesting seeing just the ebb and flow, how even, yes, this excitement of being in Chicago, it isn't immune to, oh, crap, we're down 3-1. Like, both fan to, bases are so... This agony and losing are be, so baked into both franchises. This is going to be wonderful for some, you know, for one fan base tonight, and it is going to be crushing for you, another. You definitely, I don't, I, I don't uh, believe in curses, but I do believe in karma. I definitely wonder. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys saw the LeBron James Halloween party with the three one, all the three to one jokes that Cleveland fans have made since the Warriors blew that lead. But like the three to one, he had what three to one lead as the. Uh, was on the bass drum for the house band at his Halloween party. I mean, the Cleveland fan base has beaten that into the ground. If and this the Indians would just be, lose, it's LeBron James's fault. That's this, what you're saying. That, 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 that's, that's, number, that's number one. And then number two, just karma is a biatch. It just does not like to be messed with, you know, period. It does not like to be, You just can't do that if you're Cleveland for four months and not and get away okay, with it. I mean, that's so, possible. But no, go. So who do y'all think again tonight is? I for okay. First question: How geeked are y'all for tonight? Because this well, is we're pretty like, geeked in this podcast. So. It'll be great. You know, it was, it was really interesting. And again, this was something that you could gather a little bit, but physically being there, I saw it on a, and felt it on a whole different scale. You know, for those first few games, you know, three and four, the Cubs were like, oh, you know, we're a good team. We're just gonna play our game and we'll win. And it really wasn't until game five and. They didn't try and pretend. It was in their words. It was in their actions. You could see it in their play. It was, okay, like, let's, we actually need to dial up the intensity. You know, Rizzo talked about it. We were too laid back. You know, I throw on Rocky, you know, before right. the game to get us one. Dexter Fowler, you know, our blood pressure needed to get higher. We got it higher, and it's going to stay higher. I mean, there was this active decision within the Cubs clubhouse leaders. Not Joe Madden, but the right. clubhouse leaders to clearly say, not Joe Madden. Joe Madden said, ah, oh, we're going to show but, but, and go you, in Game 5. But, well, not so because you saw Madden manage with a greater sense of urgency. And I thought it was interesting how on Game 4, the press was just grilling him over, why didn't you use Schwarber when you were down 3-1 in the fifth? Right. You know, you're not managing with any urgency. And, you know, it was interesting just watching the press grill him. The narrative and, definitely and, built. Every that, The Cubs were such favorites that as they fell behind, the narrative definitely grew that, well, the Cubs are better on paper, so they must be blowing it on the, well, in the managerial but, but, in the dugout, but, which I kind of agreed with. I, You know, I think that discounts just how good Cleveland was this year and how good their pitching staff has been. I will say, though, that for Madden to you know bring in Chapman that Game 5 really did change some things in terms of, okay, we're managing with more urgency now, but it started with the players and their actions, and even their at-bats, there was a little bit more... You know, I mean, the, the well, they quality didn't give away bats, the, yeah. right? The quality of the at bats start to finish, even though they only scored that one inning. Right. The quality of the at bats start to finish was just so visibly better. And Addison, a lot, the, the two at bats in that game were Addison Russell's swinging bunt that he didn't strike out with two two strikes, which he'd been striking out all series, and then the bunt by Baez. Those were two selfless at bats that were more much more competitive than right. those two hitters had had so, so bre- over the duration of the series. And so I really did think. 
you know, game five, the way the Cubs won it, where they made that conscious active decision to quote unquote get the blood crush up. None of this BS cliche, yeah. which I actually am not a fan of the oh, just another game. No, right. it's not. Exactly. This is what you've dreamed about since you were nine years old. Stop pretending otherwise. So for me, seeing that and then watching them carry that over, this sense of we're not messing around, no more of this, oh, we're just gonna play our game. Let's get up there, and then as soon as that that you know that outfield collapse, if you will, yeah, the Cubs smelled blood and went for the kill. They I put really... together good at bats all the way through and just went for it, which I, which I think portends well. But I really think this turnaround started with their active conscious decision in Game Five. Yep. Now I don't want to pick against Corey Kluber in a Game Seven, but I think the Cubs are in better position to beat him than they were Games One or Four. Not just because of oh you're seeing a guy for a third time. But because there has been a visible and you know reported change of mindset, which you know some people out there on the Twitter sphere are like, oh, chemistry is overblown. I'm telling you, I was there. You felt it. The players talked about it. Everyone who was there saw it, felt it, acknowledged it, and we're seeing it play out. Yeah, I think, okay, so too, I think they were too casual, and I think they, I think I definitely agree. The intensity has been ratcheted up. I think Madden has totally reacted to his players. They didn't react to him. No, this was and a player I, I think the driven. player started it, and, and I'm glad to hear you say that, because that's, that's how it seemed from afar. And As soon uh, as Anthony Rizzo threw Rocky on in the pregame yeah. clubhouse before Game 5, that and honestly, got going. It and still hasn't been a great look for Madden. The whole but, series hasn't but, been a great look, and they can still win the series. And they were nine games better than the Indians during the year. As good as the Indians were... The Cubs were nine games better. So the and Indians I, are good. They're, they're, the Cubs they're, were they're better. nine games better, and and the Cubs and healthier. And the Cubs have, if you say look at them right now, you would say that this is the team that they had designed when the season began. Plus, right, they've added Chapman. plus Schwarber, and they've gotten short. <laughs> yeah. you know, whereas if you look at Cleveland, you would say this is not the team that they. They're they're Brantley list. Yep. They're Salazar, Carrasco, Salazar. Well, mostly Salazar yeah. last night. I, I know he, he, last night I know he didn't good. throw a lot last night, and he didn't throw tremendous, but he, he, he looked good. He broke off some pretty darn good yeah, change-ups. Is there any second-guessing, or you think any second-guessing within the Indians of, man, maybe we should have started Salazar in Game 6 instead of Tomlin? You know, my issue with that is simply that Tomlin pitched really well in, at Wrigley in Game 3. I mean, he it still was, didn't go five innings. But that, was, did. But, but that was because, you know, Francona made a decision based. It wasn't because, I mean, four and two-thirds innings, right. three hits, 58 pitches. He was moving quickly. You know, Francona made a choice. And, you know, obviously it worked out given that they won. But it wasn't anything like Tomlin did not struggle. He did not right. like out of sorts. So for me, given that, he, you know, he's pitched well, against this team on the road he has a home game and we really didn't know what Salazar had I mean this was a guy who uh, correct me if I'm wrong but I believe his first playoff appearance did not go that great right you know so something where you're not going to start a guy who when you have a guy who has started in the World Series and started well in the World Series versus a guy who hasn't started a game now in September 9th September 9th so almost eight weeks you know six and a half seven weeks and his one showing if wasn't that great. I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer, and it's a total hindsight move that, let me put it this way, I think if they did start Zalazar and it didn't go well, it would have been, what are they doing? They have a guy who just threw and was great, right. and they're starting after the first time in eight weeks. I mean, to me, well, that's the hindsight police getting out of line. No, but I, don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree at all. Just wanted to ask. How, how long do we think that, I mean, again, this is, the, the thing that's also going to be fascinating tonight is, this is one area where I do think that there's a slight advantage for the Cubs on this. If you are Chicago tonight, and it sounds crazy, 
They, the Indians have an advantage because Corey Kluber versus Hendricks, I think, is still an advantage. Yes. Kluber, as good as Hendricks has been. And Hendricks, a lot better at home, too. It's 132 ERA at home, 295 on the road. 295 on the road is still good. good. But one thing I will give for Hendricks is that it was at home, but game six, a lot of pressure facing Kershaw. He was at his best mm-hmm. in probably his most pressure-packed start of his career. But the thing that I do think, though, is, is that if you're, if you're the Cubs, Hendricks, everyone should tonight be on almost a batter-by-batter Correct. And with Hendricks, there's going to be no problem with that. Your Hendricks is on a batter by batter. It is a little tougher when you've got Corey Kluber. Right. If Corey Kluber is game one, Corey Kluber, it doesn't matter because you're watching that and you go, no, this is not batter by batter because you. you well, it is batter. He's just getting them all right. out. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you if Corey Kluber is more like game four Kluber, there is that human Kluber, not the Klubot. There is that more of that tendency though. He's Kluber. You want to? You're not going to pull him in the second. You're not going to pull him in the third. But Shaw has been so good. And, I was and just Miller saying, has I, been I, so I, good. I don't think either of them go five tonight. Well, but here's, I don't. Here's here's the thing that where I like. You know, it's going to sound weird. If you're going to lose Game Six for Cleveland, lose it the way you did, so you don't have to put in. I mean, Shaw, Allen, Miller are all rested. Right. They and Frank Kona. I mean, I right. Know. That wasn't. That was the. As soon as they went down seven nothing, you know, my one of my best friends is a diehard Indians fan, and his texting was like, look. And we were saying, if you're going to lose, this is how you lose, so you don't burn those guys. So now all of them are going to come in with two full days of rest. Yep. You know, they'll have had a travel day. They'll have the day off. So it's not just a matter of your ace is going on the mound. You have your ace and your three-headed monster in the bullpen. And I thought the most telling quote uh, the entire time I was in Chicago, and I love Joe Madden's quote, when someone you know said, how do you beat these guys? He said, if you're losing to them in the fifth, you're done. I mean, he just flat out admitted. He said, in order for us to win, we have to get an early lead and stay out of the middle of the bullpen. If we don't do that, we do not win. And I hope he, he doesn't say that to his team before Game 7 because that would not be he, helpful. You, can, you know what? It's in the media transcripts for Games yeah. 3, 4, 5. I mean, it's all there. He's never made a secret of it. And the truth is, the players know that. I mean, you know, we talk. I mean, yes, they're competitors. Yes, they're professionals. They know, they've, they know how dirty those three are. And there's absolutely a sense of when those three are in the game – Oh crap, we're in trouble. And, right. and they don't and, and that's one thing I kinda like about this Cubs team is and I think they take this from their manager Madden. They're fairly honest. This is not a group that gives you the same old, oh, you know, we just want to win and we believe in ourselves. Like, no, they'll tell you what they need to do and either do it or don't. And I, I think Cubs fans would take any win. I think they would take it even more. I think they would love it if they went through Cody Allen or uh, Andrew Shaw. Miller, and I think they'd like it if they went through Corey Kluber, and that would make it all the more sweet. But honestly, yeah. let's, let's let's be honest, they would love it if they went through the ghost of Charlie Sheen and Wild Thing coming out of the <laughs> Old Hoss Radborn, so. which you know, one of the better Twitter followers. I, I, I he made the point. He said, like, you know, I would you know love to be in a game seven. You know, you would, they would love to go through Old Hoss Radborn. <laughs> but the one thing that Francona did say yesterday is, if you if we were going to lose, we wanted to lose where we saved our bullpen, which they did, and we wanted to make them use Chapman, which they did. And stay competitive enough to make them use Chapman. And so if you're going to lose, they, they lost exactly the way they want, wanted to. I'll throw in a couple things Kenny Rosenthal said, and then we can wrap up. Um, Kenny Rosenthal wrote to we got to make our Game 7 picks to wrap it right, up. Right, now that's how okay, we'll wrap up. Okay. Rosenthal notes that uh, Lester, according to this, that he will be the, likely will be the Cubs' first reliever, according to sources. His personal catcher, David Ross, will enter with him, likely play the rest of the way in the final game of his career. And then he also noted that Francona was asked uh, if he thought about starting uh, Rajai Davis over Tyler Naquin because Davis was 1 for 25 
until getting two hits in his last two at bats of Game Five, with and a couple stolen bases that were that made things interesting. Right. Then Naquin with a failed catch in Game Six. So Naquin's four for twenty-three in the series with fourteen strikeouts. Davis is slightly rated better by the metrics. So I just, we, we talked about this earlier before you got here. For me, I'm starting Davis I'm and Chris in the outfield no matter what. And I think I would also start Geyer too. Platoon advantage be damned. Ch- Chisinau has not played well defensively and the whole again, series. And again, platoon advantage is not really that significant when you talk about a situation where you're probably going to see more than half of the outs tonight yeah. are going to come against lefties. Yeah, so to me, Geyer and Davis start. And then I want Chris. He's 37. He's been through a lot. He's won a World Series. I have high trust in Coco Crisp and a lot less trust right now in Chisholm Hall. And by Coco Crisp has also, you know, I wrote about it in that Game Three yeah. story. And then after that, he went and had a double. I mean, he's been he's been a great. great I, I, one thing for that. again, one he's thing, been great. one minor thing to remember with Coco Crisp though, just because it has not shown up since the Red Sox series, Coco Crisp arm. <laughs> it has not been exposed. It's not right. been exposed. It's but, a sitting duck. But it's sitting back there. Just to remember, if you have a key situation, and they have at times in the past tried to cover that up in later innings by getting him out of there. If Coco, if the ball is hit to Coco Crisp in the late innings, and there is a runner on second, and his name is not Schwarber. Oh, I think pretty, Schwarber's running anyway. But I'm saying, but anyone else, there's a pretty good chance that he's scoring. Maybe Montero. I, 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 I will say, you know, I think about this. I think it's interesting, again, as we're doing Prospect Handbook, if you say, all right, a team's going to be in Game 7 of the World Series and you're not laughing at their chances, starting an outfield of Brandon Geyer, Rajay Davis, and Coco Crisp, it's interesting. I mean, those guys at this point in their career are all, what, 40s, 45s? Oh, yeah, and, and, but, but Davis is 36, Crisp is 37. But, I mean, they're greats. I mean, you know, there's some speed, there's some hitability, but a lot of them are up there slash platoon guys. And Well, they're not – I mean, that's the thing is that the Indians have – they they str- they do not have many profile guys in the outfield. No, they don't have any. I mean, I, <laughs> really? I would argue Naquin is one, but there's some issues obviously with the defense right now and the communication. I just think it's interesting, you know, talking about you know this idea of if you're not you know with sixty you know fifty five sixty player, you're not going to play for a winning team. But if you're put in the right spots, it depends right. a lot on organization. And this does. I mean, and, like, and this like you look does. at last year, I, I will say there has never been less of a profile shortstop than the Mets shortstop. Right. Will Flores, yeah, absolutely. It does happen. Yep. Oh, and before oh, that was Ruben Tejada before he got his uh, leg snapped. Although he, I'd say Tejada's... He's like an 80s profile shortstop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'll throw one last uh, intersection of these two teams on the on the Coco Crisp note. Shout out to Bob Lafrano, who coached him at L.A. Pierce Junior College, and now Bob's uh, athletic director at Pierce, but he also is a part-time scout for the Cubs. So I just think it's kind of funny that he's obviously rooting on the Cubs, but he'll have a soft spot if Coco uh, wins another World Series. So I, I do think, even though all the pitching advantages are Cleveland, I know the best team doesn't always win, but I do think the better team will win. I think the Cubs have a lot of momentum on their side. I love how they're performing offensively. I think Bryant, Rizzo, at their best, are good enough to scratch some runs off Cleveland. So I, I think the Cubs will win tonight. J.J. and Kyle, what say you guys? <laughs> J.J. wants to go last. You know, uh, I am going to go Indians. I just, you know, for me, it's they're at home. They've got all the pitching advantages lined up, you know, first inning through ninth inning. Yep. And to me, that'll be the X factor. I think the Indians will scrape across just enough off of a, you know, out of their element, you know, Lester slash Lackey. And that'll be enough for their, for their you know, their, you know, Kluber goes five. And then, you know, Shaw, Shaw, Allen, Miller take the final four in some order and they're, and they're, and they're set. 
I, I will also say Cleveland. I think it's, I mean, it could obviously, this is, this is one game. It could go in whatever way. But I think, and I don't even think Kluber goes five. I think, again, to me, as good as Kluber is, Andrew Miller is the, the is the basically the unhittable one in this scenario. And so. But Cody Allen, to me, is gettable. Cody Allen, and again, Cody Allen's very good. All takes is one hang, one hang breaking ball. But but, but fairness, with Andrew though, Miller he's performed almost on par with Miller this postseason. Almost, almost, but not, not quite. quite. But but it's but, been so instead of superhuman, it's still been. I just don't elite. think it's been elite, and he is outstanding. I do not think he has Miller's air of invincibility that that and, gives and, Andrew Miller a little extra something. And but again, the thing I come back to is is with arrested Miller. I don't want to see, if I'm if a Cleveland fan, I don't want to see him for one. I don't want to see him for two. I honestly I, I, I have my seeing him through the order twice. I really as long if he could go through it, if he give you four, I I, I don't know I don't know why you can't see a Bumgarner esque kind of game seven where you say it's yours and we'll figure out. And again, you are everyone's batter by batter, so you have <laughs> you have guys getting ready. It's game seven. You're not worrying about that. You know whether you're you know burning the guy by having him get up in the pen, right? But. I do think with Miller, like you, you get if Kluber can get me, if I'm the Indians, if Kluber can get me through the lineup through the third, and then in the fourth, we are even looking at okay, if he's cruising, great. If he's not, I at I want if I'm Cleveland, I want Andrew Miller to be in that game for as long as I can tonight. I would agree, and uh, if I were the Cubs, I would want to see him in there too, but only if you have a lead. So <laughs> the, just get the, get there eight minutes early. 8 o'clock Eastern time start. I wish it was a 7.30 start or a 7 o'clock start, but uh, it's not. So uh, we know that if you're listening to this podcast, you'll enjoy it. Rate us on iTunes. Don't forget about our 30 days of giveaways. Uh, check us out on Custom all of our social today. channels. Custom Bat today. We had a great giveaway yesterday with the are, Wilson A2000. Are, are we eligible as employees? No. Darn it. <laughs> no, no. I really want that back. No, it, it really it is. <laughs> there are small downsides to working for Baseball America. That <laughs> I, is one of them. I think every time I tweet it out, I basically have made the point, like, I can't win this, but you can. Yeah, you know? so, and, and they're cool gifts. So we're on day two. So 29 more to go. Drink it in. Game seven of the World Series. We hope you enjoy it. We know we've enjoyed it. So far, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast. So for Kyle and JJ, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.